Well, my friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning and turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. Why, yes, these are new glasses. <laughs> so glad you asked. My friends, when I was in my optometrist's office, there was a, a sign on the wall. And it, you know, it looks like one of those eye tests. It starts with the big letters and gets smaller and smaller. It drew my attention because it wasn't random letters. And I read it and it said, it's not what you look at that matters, but what you see. And isn't that true? You look around this room, what do you see? Perhaps you've heard the expression, how the other half lives. It was a title of a very, very important work of photojournalist uh, Jacob Rees. He documented the squalid living conditions in New York City slums in the 1880s. I mean, he, he documented the, the filth, disease, exploitation, overcrowding that characterized the experiences of more than one million immigrants, among whom were my relatives. It, it, it exposed the slums to New York City's upper and middle class, and it quickly became a landmark in the annals of social reform. I mean, this, this book, full of pictures of people suffering, it helped push tenant reform to the front page of New York's political agenda. This guy made a difference in his world by taking pictures. How are you making a difference in this world? I mean, what is your habit and your passion your conviction that you live out in such a powerful, consistent way that over time it changes the world. Isn't that how the world is changed anyway? Not by one particular guy who does one particular thing, but by people who catch an idea and determine to live differently because of it. Jesus changed the world. The Apostle Paul says that the disciples turned the world upside down, the book of Acts tells us, in their preaching. And so today, as we continue our study in the book of Revelation of Jesus, we're going to examine what I think is a, just a very dark chapter. And it is my hope that your eyes will be opened and that we together will start taking actions that ultimately will save lives, my friends. And the first step in doing that is to open your eyes to see how good you have it in Jesus. Look at here at chapter 14 in verse 1. This is what John says. Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. Who is the Lamb, my friends? It's Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And we know these 144,000 to be 
the nation of Israel. These are Israelites. They come from the tribes of Jacob, of Israel. And my friends, they have Jesus in their father's name written on their foreheads. These are the people of God. And look at what they're doing. Verse 2, and I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing on their harps and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Here, my friends, are those who put their faith in Jesus. They endured a great deal of obstacles in their life and opposition because of their faith. But they are now standing in the presence of God, and they are praising the Lord. See, you and I have it different in this world. The rest of this world out there, they, they get in accidents, they, they get sick, they have all kinds of, they have these uh, uh, close downs in the workplace and they have layoffs and they, and they wonder, why is all of this happening? And there is no answer, no purpose other than life is hard. But you and I as believers know this truth. We know, the Apostle Paul says, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. So whatever difficulties you face in your world, my friends, they have purpose. And it is these very things in which we see the grace of God carry us through that we will stand before his throne one day and we will praise him. We will see it from the right perspective, not through the difficulties of what will I do tomorrow, but looking back to see what God did to carry us along. And so we see the people of God and the praises to God. And look at here in verse 4. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. It is these who have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth was no lie was found, for they are blameless, and that they are pure before God. Now, you may look at your life right now and say, hey, you know, maybe there's a little more purity than there used to be. But by no means would you sum up your life as pure. By faith in Jesus Christ, my friend, the Spirit of God is working in every one of our lives through every circumstance, every difficulty, and every celebration we have to change us from the inside out to conform us to the character of Christ. And one day that will be our reality. 
Right now, we have the righteousness of Christ in our account. One day, that righteousness will not just be hidden in the annals of heaven, but in our very lives. Purity, holiness, goodness, kindness, compassion, all of these things, my friend is what God is transitioning, transforming us into. And so you got to open up your eyes and realize that you got it pretty good in Jesus. You have the grace and the Spirit of God working in your life every moment of the day. You got it pretty good. You know very well that if you were in some horrific accident on the way home, you would go from here directly into the presence of God. You would be reunited with those who had gone before you. But what about the unbeliever? What about those who laugh at your faith and talk about your made-up God? And how silly you are. Not so much for them, my friends. And so open your eyes to see how good you have it. Secondly, notice here in verse 6. The instruction is to wake up. Judgment is coming. Those people who are your neighbors and are kind and say, Oh, I noticed you were on vacation. I looked out for your house for you. Friends, I don't know their middle name, but I'll tell you, we've developed a relationship in which we look out for one another. You got a tool that you don't have a tool, you got a job yet, come on in, let's take a look at it. We're neighbors. You know what Jesus said about neighbors? <laughs> you ought to love them. And love isn't just feelings, my friends. The feelings are what follow the action. But you know what? It's not enough just to loan a tool, a cake pan, a recipe, my friends. There's more. Judgment is coming, my friends. Look at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. Now, the word gospel means good news. What he is not referring to is that Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead. This angel is bringing some good news, my friends. And now he's going to lay out what it is. And so that he's going to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, to every tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. I want to challenge you with something here, my friends. Just in this phrase we read that you, your mind just kind of jumped over. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. The Bible makes much of God being the creator of all that is. And it is the right and proper thing that, my friends, as we look out and we say, oh, goodness, look at all of the leaves. They're in now. 
The spring moving into summer, moving into beauty, moving into sunsets in a beautiful summer breeze that will blow across your deck. And all of these wondrous things that God has made. And every last, every single time you realize the wonder of God's creation, you need to do more than just simply say, wow, what a nice day out might be nice to thank the one who made it, to praise the God of creation. Now, moving on here, my friends, the kingdom of God is coming. The only right thing to do is to fear God. Now, friends, we've been spending a few weeks here in this book, and we see some pretty horrific things going on in which God is taking his creation and turning it upside down, just like Jesus went into the money changer and flipped this table. You're not going to praise the one who made it? Well, let's see what it does to you, my friends. And here, here is the good news. The good news comes, my friends. And another angel, a second angel followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. This is the world system of the Antichrist, my friends. And the Lord is about to turn it upside down. Fallen, fallen. You know why it's said twice? Because of the certainty The world will not continue on every single day. Over and over, you wake up, it's a new opportunity. My friends, those opportunities are leading to a day in which you have a lifetime to make a decision about Christ, and then Christ will make a decision about you. Babylon is going to fall, my friends. And look at the advice, the counsel here in verse 9, escape God's wrath. And another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand in order, you know, to be able to purchase groceries and, you know, go out to dinner sometimes. I mean, you know, it's not that bad. I mean, you got to eat, right? Yeah, sure, align yourself with the evil one. Look at what happens, my friends. If anyone worships the beast in its image and willfully receives a mark on his forehead or in his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath. I have this underlined in my Bible. Perhaps it ought to be in yours because the wine of God's wrath is poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image. And whoever, again, willfully receives the mark of its name Judgment is coming, my friends. Escape God's wrath now.
Run to God. Plead with him for mercy. He's a merciful God. He will forgive you. He absolutely will. And he will adopt you into his family. And you will spend eternity in fellowship with him and all of his people. Run. So don't align yourself with evil, my friends. Be like the saints of God. Look at verse 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. And so we see how they lived. They endured hardship. I can be a bit of a whiner. I, since brain surgery, I have this electrical problem and that it feels like I'm being stung by scorpions in various parts of my body every now and again. And I go, ow! And it gets tiring for Melody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got an owie. <laughs> and I've just got to learn to just, you know... Friends, the mercy of God is great in our lives. We really don't have that much to complain about. Oh, look at that. They didn't have the large fry in your bag, only the medium. <laughs> I mean, friends, when we look at some of the difficulties that we face, what are we complaining for? Our reservation is secure. Stop living for this life and live for the next one. How many of you have ever endured hardship because you're trusting in Christ? People come and dump garbage on your lawn because you're a follower of Jesus? Huh? They take your cat and hide it? Easy. Your cat's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you cat people. <laughs> My friends, they endured hardship. They said they expected this. Pete, Jesus said, they hated me. Yeah, they did. They crucified him. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And you know, how, you know how they hate you? is because you live out the light. And friends, if you're not experiencing any kind of persecution, and, and I don't mean they want to crucify you. But they just hate you. They hate your light. They don't want to hear about this Jesus thing. They don't want to hear about forgiveness. Keep it to yourself. Well, maybe you're not shining the light. <whistles> Be like the saints of God, my friends. They endured hardship. You know what else they did? They kept the commandments of God. Those who keep the commandments of God... And you know what else they were marked by? Their faith in Jesus. So here's the call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I want you to note, my friends, they not only lived differently, they died differently. Look at verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Death is a blessing, my friends, in which we pass from this world into glory. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may enter rest from their labors. 
You see, for the believer, death is rest. That's why it's often referred to as sleep. Those who sleep in Jesus, they have rest from their labors. And then notice this, for their deeds follow them. In other words, they anticipate reward. (coughs) Still not COVID. (laughs) My friends, live well. Escape the wrath of God. Because, my friend, one day it will be poured out. Now, this, of course, is taking place in the seven-year tribulation period. We are right at the end of this. We are coming up to the battle of Armageddon, which isn't much of a battle. We're going to read about that next week. But the wrath of God will indeed be poured out. Look at verse 14. When this wrath is poured out, the judge is Jesus. Look at verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Time to do some harvesting. Now look at the judged. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put your sickle in and reap For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who has authority over fire. And he called with a loud voice on the one who had a sharp sickle. Put your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. And the judgment, my friends, is severe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grapes of harvest and And the earth threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden (coughs) outside of the city. And the blood flowed from the winepress, high as a horse's bridle. Imagine. (coughs) And it flowed for 1,600 stadia. And we all know how long a stadia is, and 1,600 of them is about 200 miles. Blood is running like a river, my friends. That is the wrath of God. That is the hatred that God has for sin. God is a just God, and he is a holy God, and he will punish sin. And this is just the beginning. Judgment is coming, my friends. Run to God and bring someone with you. Know this. Be sure your sin will find you out. You cannot hide from God. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today, go rescue the lost from the wrath of God. 
Go tell someone that Jesus died for their sin. He rose from the dead that he will forgive their sin and make them new. If you had a chance right now, I wonder, to step up and save someone's life, say they just collapsed on the floor, would you do it? Or would you sit back and just watch? I mean, would you do it? Lots of ways you can be saving lives right here today. You walk out this building, you can go save lives. You know how? Go don- donate some blood. Seriously, real need for blood right now, my friends. Check the organ donor box at the DMV. Families have been transformed, overwhelmed by the kindness and love of someone that said, the moment I pass, use everything you can. Go save a life. Lots of ways you can do it, my friends. Start asking people how they're doing and then wait for an answer. A lot of people in difficult situations, dark days, contemplating bad decisions. And all it takes is someone to say, hey, what's going on? What's happening? Are you okay? And don't let go. Start being the people that God called us to do. And how about this? Tell them about Jesus. You know, in Luke chapter 16, there is a parable we all know. It is about this rich man. He, he had it all, my friends. He had all the trimming. He had a lavish house and, and these fancy clothes and, and food in abundance. And then there was this other guy named Lazarus. I I got a feeling that this might be true, my friends, because Jesus didn't use names in parables. He talked about a farmer or a guy building a tower. But this guy named Lazarus, I mean, he was poor. And he was hungry. He had nothing to eat. He had no ways to get it. And not only that... the scripture says he's covered with sores. I mean, he's sick. He's, he's pathetic. And apparently he couldn't walk because the parable Jesus tells here says that he had to be laid at this guy's door. I mean, surely this guy lives in such abundance. I mean, he can spare a few morsels. How about a cupcake for heaven's sakes? Honestly, Lazarus would have been happy to eat out of his garbage can. And he dies. Lazarus dies, and we expect that. What does the guy have? Nothing. But then again, so does the rich guy. And suddenly, the rules are reversed. And Lazarus is being comforted. And this rich man is in torment. And he's crying out for some kind of relief. Shouldn't that Lazarus fellow have him dip his nasty little finger in a cup of water and put it on my tongue? For I am in torment. 
And I know what you're saying. Good, nasty, horrible, selfish man. But my friends, the bad news is in this parable, you're the rich man. You have great abundance, and I'm not talking about what's in your bank account. I'm talking about the gospel. You have the ticket that wins it all. The truth that Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead. You can't really keep it to yourself, can you? I mean, what kind of monster would we be if we did? This fellow? Judgment is coming, my friends. And you can rescue people from the wrath to come. And the only question that matters here is, will you? And so I want you to bow your head right now. Just close your eyes. I want you looking around and see what anyone else is doing. But I want you to think right now, who is it that you should be sharing the gospel to today? Who is it? Who is it that the Spirit of God has brought to your mind already? That you can go just pull up in their driveway. Or maybe they're further away and you can make a phone call. Or maybe send an email. But you can do something. And then the question is, will you? The wrath of God, the judgment on sinners is coming, my friends. You can't just sit back and do nothing. Oh, Father, help us. God, prevent us from being that church in Laodicea. That church that had it all. But God, you said that they were neither hot nor cold. And so you spat them out of your mouth. Oh, God. Set us afire. Help us to stop looking and to start seeing that people are on their way to hell. And that you have called to us to throw out a lifeline. To save, save them. That we know it is Jesus his sacrifice that saves. But our message, God, you've called us to proclaim it. Convict us, God. Take away our sleep and our appetites. God, make us miserable until our heart is right with you. Until our actions are aligned with your will. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.